The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. One problem facing people at many levels of business is how to make time for a work life and a personal life. Do you find that one seems to keep getting in the way of the other? This is the Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris. Even if you're not involved in the business world, you'll have a lot to gain by tuning in to today's show. Now, here is your host, Rick Morris. And it's another Friday afternoon. You heard the funky beat, which means it is time for another edition of the Work-Life Balance. So happy to have you along uh, it's been a wild week. Uh, started a new hobby uh, into day trading the Forex market. In my spare time, if you start talking about the work-life balance, uh, run three companies and now we're going to day trade in my spare time. That's that's exactly the kind of work-life balance I go after. But uh, pretty fascinating little thing. I'll probably do a show on that in a, in a few weeks. Uh, we've got a lot of events coming up. So uh, I know that uh, May 9th I'm going to be in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, speaking at the GTA Summit. Uh, I know May 13th, uh, I'm going to be speaking at uh, the Central Alabama Project Management Institute chapter. Uh, and then uh, I know, uh, I think uh, we've got another event in there somewhere. I know I'm going out to Fort Wayne. Uh, if I've left any of those off, I'll make sure, oh, the 23rd, 24th. How can I forget the 23rd and 24th, the Resource Planning Summit? We had you guys on last week, did a fantastic show. Uh, going to be speaking on the USS Intrepid in New York. Uh, so go to resourceplanningsummit.com about all of that. So a lot of events coming up. Uh, love to meet you guys in person. Love to see you guys come out there. Uh, we're actually still trying to work on potentially getting even Voice America to come out live uh, for the 23rd and 24th event uh, so we can meet all of you guys in person. That'd be fantastic. But today, uh, we've got a, a great person on the phone. Uh, somebody I met several years ago, uh, as you guys are starting to catch on, you know, I meet all of these people in the speaking circuit and we just you know develop friendships. We keep in touch with each other. Uh, watch each other's careers and stay in touch. And and uh, when I first met this young lady, uh, she just absolutely lit up the room and uh, was so fun to be around. And then you read her bio and you go, wow, with, with this kind of bio, how are you so fun? Because her early career was in microbiology and that's not necessarily, you know, the party atmosphere, but she brings it. She brings, yeah, I got you on that one, didn't I? Uh, so, but she brings, she brings, that party atmosphere, she's fun everywhere she goes. But you go from microbiology into project management. Not really two careers known for bringing the funk, but she still does. And she's always had a passion for improving how companies manage work and serve their customers. And in 2006, started a company uh, called Beyond 20, which is a consulting and training firm built on the expertise in IT service management and project management. Uh, she's worked on as an adjunct professor uh, of project management at San Diego State University, as well as a board member and volunteer with a number of professional organizations. Uh, she holds a master's degree from the University of Florida, which will give her a pass, me being a Tennessee fan, and uh, is a very skilled writer, uh, blogger, and presenter. And as a matter of fact, I think it was just last week, um, if not uh, a couple of weeks ago, was named one of the top 20 people that you should be following in the project management profession on Twitter. I didn't even get that. Uh, and I feel like I tweet all the time, which is a huge honor. Certainly uh, proud of her. Let's bring in uh, Erica Flora. Erica, how you doing? I'm doing great. Doing great. 
Well, so, I have a lot to live up to now. I've been bringing the <laughs> funk and party, party. <laughs> well, but you do. You smile a lot. You're so much fun to be around. Uh, that's what drew us together in the first uh, place. You know, we had a lot of fun when we were kind of cutting up in the back of the room uh, the first time we met. But you do. You just have such a great personality and in. You know, it is somewhat rare in our in our industry to find people with a tremendous amount of personality and, and get up there and, and quite frankly, who can make training fun. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think it comes really from a place, and, and I see this in the way that, uh, that you present as well, that when you really feel like there's something that you want to share and you feel really passionate about it, it just it has to, like, seep out of you. Yeah, we can't contain it. Can't hold it in. It's time to it's no. time to let it out. Sing it to the audience. Yeah. Well, and you want to light another fire in other people too. So about motivation. Absolutely, absolutely. In fact, I remember the first talk that I heard you give. This was, oh my gosh, probably ten years ago. I don't know, a long time. Um, the talk that you gave on how to make emotional conversations unemotional, and I got a ton from that talk. Um, it just changed how I, how I worked as a project manager because, frankly, I had had some emotional conversations, you know, from leadership saying, you know, do something that's impossible and you're going, it's not possible. Um, but when you focus on the data, it changes the whole conversation. It changes how you're perceived as a, as a leader, as a practitioner. And, um, yeah, that, that has stuck with me. Oh, that's very touching. I appreciate that. Yeah, we're can-do people, right? We're, our, our job's not to say no. And, and so many people right. forget about that in project management. Our job is to find the way. Now, you can say no because my way may be ludicrous, uh, but I'm going to find a way. And then you can tell me, no, we're, we're not going to hire 600 people in the next three days. But that's going to be what it takes to get the job done. Mm-hmm. So talk to me about Beyond 20. What's, what's that all about? What do you guys yeah. do? What do you guys got going on right now? Yeah, so we started Beyond 20, gosh, probably right around 10 years ago now, and um, we started as process consultants. Um, My whole background is around project management. That's what I've done uh, for a good portion of my career. Had some, uh, came to project management through some happy accidents. Like you said in my intro, I started out as a microbiologist, and I realized about five minutes into my career that I was like, wow, I don't like this. Um, I, I need to find something else that I do like. And um, yeah, just kind of stumbled into an opportunity as a project manager. Absolutely loved it. Um, and in fact, my first role as a project manager, I got the opportunity to lead um, the, the entire project. Uh, portfolio, essentially, um, of what we were doing within a drug development company. We had like 150 different schedules, and we were trying to predict when we were going to be able to um, release drugs to the market, or at least be able to submit to the FDA for approval. And um, when I came to the organization, it was pretty disorganized, and over the course of a couple of years, there was a dramatic shift in the organization. They started really embracing project management, really started seeing that um, just having visibility, I mean, visibility that they weren't able to ever have, visibility to be able to say, what projects are they working on? What are we doing in real time? Um, where are we having issues? Where's the potential for, for bottlenecks? And in that organization, and when you work in drug development, there's a lot of moving parts and a lot of things that are waiting on other projects. Um, you know, when you manufacture for clinical trials, you have to do so in small batches. And if you get the timing of that wrong, then you end up wasting a lot of time and money because you've got doctors and, and nurses and patients all scheduled. And, and if they don't have drugs that they can test, then then you're out of luck. And so, um, 
yeah, we just, I got to experience real transformation of an organization and just, it got me really hooked. And I thought, you know, I want to do this for a living. I want to see organizations get better by putting some process in place, having some structure, um, really focusing on um, and working better than they are today. And so that's really the genesis of, of Beyond 20 is, is really trying to help organizations get better. And so we do that through all different types of best practice. Um, one of the things that we do is something called ITIL and IT service management. Um, that's really how do you get an IT organization to really start thinking of themselves like a business within a business and looking for ways to become more efficient, to serve their customers better, to help their customers innovate, to really start to integrate with the organization a bit better than maybe they're doing today Um, because every organization depends on IT and the organizations that really get it and can see how how IT is helping the organization and when IT can really start to become a partner with the organization, they start to kick butt and they they beat their competitors as a result of it because they're innovative and they change and they um, they get out of their own way. Kind of rambling a bit, but yeah, so, so that's what we do is we consult with organizations on how to become better. We do a lot of different kinds of training and then we also help implement software to help them get more efficient. Yeah, so when you're speaking about ITIL, one of the, the things that have always stuck with me in, in, in people trying to describe ITIL, so obviously, you know, it's a ton of uh, best practices and things like that. But when I got certified, the, the group that did that um, it explained it to me this way. It, when you're looking at processes, those processes are end-to-end. Nobody cares about the process part that you own, right? It's, it's all designed from the customer perspective. So as much as that you and I travel, this has always stuck with me. He said, you know, it's, it's think of the process of, of traveling somewhere in a flight, and it's you don't care that they, they measure the flights of on time or delayed based on wheels up, wheels down. It's when you get out of the gate that you really are concerned. So if if you see that the the you know you're supposed to arrive at seven o'clock, and maybe the wheels down was at six fifty eight, they say, hey, we were on time. But then the gate people weren't ready. Then you know there's something wrong with the door, and you didn't actually get off of the plane until eight thirty. You're upset. But the airlines are going, well, that was that group's fault and that group's fault. We don't care. The fact is, is I didn't have my luggage and I wasn't out of the airport until eight thirty. I'm late. But they go, no, 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 we were actually early. We touched down two, two minutes early on the tarmac, so therefore we're early. I've always loved that analogy in ITIL. Yeah, I think, I think that's great. And, and I like using analogies like that in class because it really helps people understand from a customer's perspective. Um, sometimes when you work in IT, you see it from your own perspective and you don't really see it from that, from that wider perspective. So I think airlines are really good examples of service providers. Um, restaurants are really good examples, too. Um, you know, you may have the, the cooks in the kitchen creating stuff that, that's great, that, that, you know, maybe when they put it in the window, it was hot and ready to go, but if your wait staff isn't in sync with them, customer doesn't care whose fault it was, if it was the wait staff or, or the cook or, or if it was, um, you know, runners or whatever. I mean, everyone's all in it together, and it's the delivery of that service. Um, yeah, and I think in IT we do that too. When when services are down, network teams like it's not us. Server teams like it's not us. Customers going, I don't care who it is. I don't have access to what I what I need, and I can't do my job. So we do. We spend a lot of time just talking about from that customer's perspective. You know, everyone understands. Everyone is a customer of some sort of service. May not necessarily be IT services. I mean, a lot of us are, um, but sometimes folks in IT you can't see it. You know 
from a different perspective other than your own. I think that's a, a great point. ITIL really helps people get their, their arms around that. And it's a great way to start. And, uh, you know, it being so customer-centric, and I think you know, you see shifts in the industry where, you know, for a while it's service-centric, then it's customer-centric, then it's, you know, silo-centric, which, you know, it was in the early 60s, right? Everybody was in their silo, and you kind of got what you got. And, and the, the voice of the customer is, is driving so much now, which is why we see Agile Scrum and things like that. And I believe you do a lot of that, that work as well. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. And it, they, it's so interesting. The industry is changing and and even project management. You know, five, ten years ago, people weren't talking about Agile like they are now. Um, and the way that we were taught, at least the way I was taught as a project manager, you tend to follow kind of a traditional approach. A lot of people now call it waterfall. Um, and didn't know that there was a better way of, of running projects. And so this whole idea of becoming more agile and instead of going off, you know, capturing requirements and then going off for a, a long period of time and then coming back to your customers. And, you know, by that, by that point in time, their, um, their needs have changed, technology has changed, um, the industry has changed. Um, it's all about why don't we just break up this project into small chunks, let's get people's feedback, and let's... Let's do things more quickly with higher quality. So, yeah, so we're seeing a lot of folks embracing Agile and Scrum. In fact, we use those concepts at Beyond 20 outside of just software. We use it in our training classes, in our conferences, and in lots of different areas. Even in just managing our day-to-day work, we use a lot of um, Scrum concepts. And now there's... um, you know, there's new buzzwords even. There's DevOps is, is another thing that we're hearing a lot about, about how do you bring um, the developers and the operate, you know, the folks in operations, how do you bring those together into one team rather than two separate teams? And, you know, it's all for the betterment of the organization. You know, how do we, how do we work better? Because the old ways of working brought us pain. So I think it's really kind of an exciting time to be in the industry now because there's just a lot of really great thought leadership going on. And and so in the last five minutes, we probably thrown out twenty new buzzwords. So I think when we come back from break here, we, we're going to take a couple of those and dive into um, not only the buzzwords themselves, but maybe some misconceptions of those. So we're going to go ahead and take a break. We're going to listen to our sponsors. We'll be back on the other side of this. You're listening to the Work Life Balance with Rick Morris. Are you frustrated with the overall productivity of your project management processes? Do you lack consistency in project delivery? R-Squared Consulting provides end-to-end services to assist companies of all sizes in realizing and improving the value of project management. Whether you want to build a project management office, train project managers, or learn how to bring the oversight and governance to your project processes, R-Squared has tailored best practices to help you in all areas of project management. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com. Today, every business is in the software business. And business is booming. That's because we live in an application-driven world where the lines between physical and digital are blurrier every day. It's a world where billions of connected things talk to each other. Where agility is the new driver of competitive advantage. Where applications aren't just part of your brand. They are your brand. All of this means you have a new mandate. Build the apps that will drive the future of your business and satisfy demanding customers, or fall behind. 
Only CA Technologies has the years of expertise and the end-to-end portfolio of software solutions to help you plan, build, manage, secure, and scale the applications at the heart of your modern enterprise. To learn how your business can thrive, visit rewrite.ca.com, your exclusive source for insights from the cutting edge of the application economy. Are you getting the most out of your project management software? In many cases, it is not the software that is failing, but the implementation, limitations, or processes surrounding the use of that software. R-Squared can analyze your current use and help improve your return on investment. R-Squared can also suggest the best software for your organization and goals and assist in the selection, implementation, and training. Allow R-Squared to ensure that you are getting the value of your investment. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com today. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now, back to the Work-Life Balance. And we're back to the Work-Life Balance. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. We love having you each and every week, and the numbers continue to grow. Uh, I just got a set of numbers uh, today from Winston. Uh, who is the the most awesome executive producer out there? I, I love Winston to death, uh, and the the numbers continue to grow. The audience continues to grow, and I can't thank you guys enough for that. In, in listening in, it humbles us uh, and continues to challenge us to bring great content to you. And in that path, I had to go find somebody who was highly in demand, a top twenty twitter person uh which is erica flora she owns beyond 20 and we've been talking you know last last segment uh, you know I, I let her get away with a little fluff lots of buzzwords no you know didn't really challenge her on any content so now now we're going to get into the lightning round and Napkin uh, real all right now, I like it. now we're going to roll up our <laughs> sleeves we're going to get a little dirty erica that's what's going to happen so um you know i'm going to i'm going to hit you with a few of my favorite quotes i did this to uh, john stenbeck for those of you guys that, that listen to the john stenbeck show uh, he's got the number one book on Agile management out on Amazon right now, uh, the Agile Al- Almanac. Uh, he and I are actually going to be speaking together in Fort Wayne, Indiana in June, I think June 16th, uh, together. But uh, I'm going to hit you with a few of my favorite quotes. I just want natural reaction. And for the audience's sake, uh, I have not told her this, not even in break. She has no idea what's coming. So these are going to be raw reactions of a live consultant uh, to some of these industry trends. So one of my favorite ones. Especially this this came from a scrum master who was very proud, came to me and said, hey, I understand uh, you worked with uh, this client and that uh, you put in CAPPM for them and they were very successful. I said, yep. She goes, sorry to tell you, uh, I ripped all of that out. Uh, we don't need project management anymore because we're agile. Go. Wow, that's impressive. Um, <laughs> you know, I think you need both. Um you know, I, I am troubled by by that kind of talk because I think at the end of the day, all of this stuff, project management and 
and Agile and Scrum. It's just a way of managing projects, but that doesn't mean you throw everything out in favor of um, of a new way of working. Um, you have to look at these things like tools to get you to where you're trying to go, not the end-all and be-all. And if what you have is working well, why the heck would you throw it out? Um, I think a lot of these things, you have to look at the end in mind first. What are you trying to achieve? Where are you having your pain? Um, if it isn't broken, don't fix it, but look at where you're having pain. And if you need to fix it, then do. And look at some of these best practices to help you get there. But, yeah, it, hurt. it hurts my heart to hear something was working well and, oh, we ripped it out because of the latest and greatest and we're going to work this way. Um, you know, maybe test it out and see. And maybe it doesn't... One thing isn't one size fits all for everything. Um, you know, I've seen Agile and Scrum methods work very, very well, but I've also seen a lot of misconceptions and a lot of damage happen um, because you read a book or you jump on the latest fad and you do away with um, things that were working. Um, I've, I've also heard customers say, like, oh, we're doing Agile, which means we don't have to document anything. And I'm like, <laughs> What? <laughs> no, that's not at all what it means. Or my, yeah, my scrum master told me it means we don't have to document anything because we're, you know, we're practicing scrum. And that's not at all true. In fact, teams that work really well in a scrum fashion, in fact, our software developers use scrum um, day in and day out. And there's a lot of rigor there. And there's a lot of documentation. Now, I think sometimes companies go overboard and they, they, bring themselves to a screeching halt because of all the documentation, but there's, there's got to be a balance there. You know, too little, too little documentation, you have pain, it's just different pain than having too much. So it, you definitely have to find a balance. Yeah, and I look at these different methodologies as tools in my toolbox, right? So I've got a big old sledgehammer, I've got a smaller hammer, and then I've got a really teeny tiny hammer, right? They all do the same thing, except that they provide different powers and different leverage for the types of job that I need. And, and same thing as you look at these different methodologies, you know, sometimes I need the big old heavy hammer, the long one that's going to drive the big stakes in in the ground, and sometimes I'm, you know, got to fix a little child's toy, and so I need something quick and agile and little that's not going to apply too much pressure. So it, it, it's the same thing. Yeah, so great answer, loved it, loved it. You passed, you passed Sweet. test number one. And so test number two. <laughs> Woo! Um, so get a prize. I get a prize. No, let me look. I think I've got a dried sponge I could send you or something around yeah. here in my office. So that'd be that'd be great. Maybe maybe an R squared. Oh, I got an R squared pen. There you go. We'll we'll, we'll give that to you. As a matter of fact, I, I've got something I call a squishy. A squishy is a, a a side a side question that only the host is interested in the answer. But are you in the D.C. area next week? Uh, I am. Yeah. Well, no. Well. Part of the week. I'm in Arizona uh, this week and part of next week, and then I'll be in D.C. the end of next week. And I'm going to do a quick plug. We have a, um, a DevOps IT service management conference in Washington, D.C., May 2nd and 3rd. So we're getting prepped for that. Um, yeah. So I'm in, I'm in uh, D.C., I think, 2nd, 3rd, and 4th, which is why I was asking. So I was trying to see if I can catch you and your, your awesome husband uh, for, for dinner. But anyway, that, we can handle that offline and not on the show. Um, Absolutely. So coming, coming back, uh, so we were putting in resource management, and we were trying to be able to forecast the resources in Agile. And I was working with a Scrum Master. Said, um, I said, I need to be able to forecast the resources. He said, you can't do that. I said, Why? 
He said, well, we work in sprints. I said, I get that, but the sprints are how long? He said, two weeks. I said, perfect. So can we just put 80 hours in? He said, no. I said, why? He said, because we work on story points. Go. Oh, interesting. Okay. So, yeah, story points points are different than ours, but you should still be able to to estimate what someone's availability looks like. Interesting. So they just said flat out, we can't tell you what people are working on or when. It's just a big mush of hours. Yep. And we won't tell you what things are going into what sprints because we change your mind all the time and it makes no sense to put that in your system that you're going to use to report to executives. Oh, man. Um, I disagree with that because anytime you go into a sprint, you've got to have it locked down what you're going to do. And things change, but you've got to have a conversation with the team to see, okay, if we're going to take this on, um, what's going to go? But you really want to protect what your team is doing at least for two weeks and lock that down because then you're still working in chaos otherwise. Um, yeah, I would I would be very nervous <laughs> to be working with a, a scrum master that tells me they can't give me any sort of estimates as to estimates as to what we'll get, what people are working on, how much time they even have available. Um, oof, yeah, uh, not a fan of that. And and as a business owner, that worries me if people can't tell me what we get um, and what my folks are working on. Um, yeah, I need more than that. You can't right. make business decisions on that. Exactly. And so my, my follow-up question to him is, so you're going to hold the entire organization hostage and the executives have no idea what's going to get done when. And, and yeah. you're, you're okay with me delivering that message on your behalf. And he said, yeah, I'm fine. And I was like, wow. And, and so mm-hmm. what, what's funny about that, right? And, and so obviously these are the extreme horror stories, right? And we don't want to scare anybody out there that's trying to jump into the agile world. But it, it's no different than, than jumping on the latest diet fat. Right, you, you know, all of a sudden, uh, I'm going to go the Atkins diet. It's no different than you know, you can go super overboard to where you shock your system, and actually have the reverse results, or you can do it very sensibly and and make small changes, and begin to do it. But I, I, I re- when I look at processes, and I look at changes to an organization, I always say, you know, there's no magic pill. There's nothing we're going to take. And tomorrow, everything's going to be better. It's a series of habit-forming changes that we have to make over time and do it smallly, smallly. Hey, I'm a radio host. How about that word, Erica? Smallly. Write that one down. Smallly, I like it. Smallly. Yeah, smallly's going to go from here on out. But you do small changes. You do little changes. And you make those habits to where it's not a shock to the system. Oh, yeah, I agree. Um, And I think it's with with any of the buzzwords. I think corporations do the same things that people do. Um, it's like fad diets at an enterprise level. I don't know what the word is for that, but it's it's the latest buzzword. And I think organizations that get it right um, are the ones that focus on how do we... I think they focus on, on, on a few things. Number one, they look at these best practice ideas for what they are. They're tools to either solve a pain that you're having or to achieve a goal. When you get away from that and you then focus instead on, on, the, on the, the buzzword and say we're going to do Scrum or we're going to do Agile, that's the wrong approach to have. If, if it's we want to deliver more products more quickly, that's a better 
that's a better answer, or we want higher quality in the products that we have, that, that's a much better answer than we just want to do Agile. Um, you know, it, it seems like semantics, but it's not. It's really having the right perspective of, of where you're trying to go and starting with the end in mind. Um, and I think Agile and Scrum and, and whatever the next buzzword is going to be, we kind of look at it like, oh, we have to do that because there really is some value in, in pursuing these best practices, but you have to keep your eye on the ball as to what you're trying to get out of it and how you're going to measure whether or not it's even successful. Um, but, yeah, at the end of the day, like you said, it's, it's about creating a new habit, and it's the difference between the people that um, look at something as a fad diet versus a change in lifestyle. If you're really trying to invest in, and make it a change in lifestyle, you have to stick to it. You have to go through the pain and the suffering, but you have to also be practical about it. Like, you can't just say, you know, I don't know, I'm just going to, I'm going to go on the cookie diet and I'm going to eat cookies all the time and, and that's my one thing mm. I'm going to do. No, it's like, okay, well, I'm probably going to eat less and I'm probably going to work out more and, and you have to be, I think you had said something along these lines, you have to be practical, you have to make small changes that are doable and can last and you can then add to those small changes. I'm not sure where I sign up for the cookie diet, but I'm in, man. Uh, so <laughs> it, it, as as my mentor says it, right, John Maxwell, everything worthwhile is uphill, but we can't go uphill with downhill habits. And and to me, if, if we're going to make these types of changes, I think there is tremendous benefit from doing so. And as you say, with the end in mind, but it, it's an uphill battle. It's not, we're going to wake up tomorrow, implement this methodology, and everything's going to be successful. So when we come back, we're going to be asking Erica about a couple of her favorite tips and tricks that she likes to roll out through her trainings or through her clients. Uh, and we'll hear that on the other side of the break. So come back. While you're on break, though, uh, go out to beyond20.com. Check out Erica. Check her out on Twitter. Find out why she's one of the top 20 that you should follow in project management. See what she's got to say. Uh, and you uh, can stay right here to listen to some of her tips and tricks coming up on the Work-Life Balance. Are you getting the most out of your project management software? In many cases, it is not the software that is failing, but the implementation, limitations, or processes surrounding the use of that software. R-Squared can analyze your current use and help improve your return on investment. R-Squared can also suggest the best software for your organization and goals and assist in the selection, implementation, and training. Allow R-Squared to ensure that you are getting the value of your investment. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com today. This is not a radio ad. It's a collection of computers, servers, transmitters, satellites, and receivers, all powered by the most transformative force in business today, software. Just think about how many applications you have within reach at this very moment. And not just on your phone. If you're in your car, software is powering the GPS that guides you. Turn left ahead. The digital road signs that direct you onward. And the engine computer that keeps you moving. Soon, software will even replace you as the driver. Switching to auto drive mode. This is life in the application economy. And the opportunities for businesses are endless. But only if you have the tools to seize them. From planning to development to management to security, end-to-end software solutions from CA Technologies can help your business succeed in this new application-driven world. Learn how at rewrite.ca.com. 
Are you frustrated with the overall productivity of your project management processes? Do you lack consistency in project delivery? R-Squared Consulting provides end-to-end services to assist companies of all sizes in realizing and improving the value of project management. Whether you want to build a project management office, train project managers, or learn how to bring the oversight and governance to your project processes, R-Squared has tailored best practices to help you in all areas of project management. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now, back to the Work-Life Balance. And we're back for the third segment of the Work-Life Balance on this beautiful Friday afternoon out here in Alabama, where I'm at. I'm not sure what it's like there in Arizona, but it is gorgeous here. Uh, enjoying the weather, enjoying our time with Miss Erica Flora, who uh, owns and runs uh, Beyond 20. Uh, and right before we went to break, we uh, teased that uh, Erica was going to share some of her favorite tips and tricks. So, Erica, what do you have for us? What's some of your favorites? Oh, man. Okay. So, I think the first and foremost, um, if, if you hear leadership saying, oh, man, I've heard leadership say so many times, we're going to do, insert buzzword here, we're going to do ITIL, we're going to do Scrum, and we're going to do it in the next 30 days and, you know, make this kind of announcement from on high. Um, I always tell people, push your leadership to give you what you need to make it successful because so many times I hear, like, leadership handed down this idea, you know, from the tablets, you know, down from the mountain. Um, and then I ask them, well, did they give you guys the resources that you need to, to make it happen? And they're like, no. Did you ask them? Did you push for it? Um, so I think that's really important. A lot of times organizations, they want to do these great things, but then they don't invest what's needed to be able to make it successful. Um, I also think it's really important to push your leadership for the why. Um, there's so many times where, where we've consulted with customers around what they're trying to do and they don't understand the why behind it. Why are you doing this? Why are you expending energy? Why are you creating these reports? Why are you doing these projects? And they don't have the why. And so I think we need to do a better job of, you know, when our, when our executives, when our leaders um, ask us to go down a certain path, we've got to define the why, not only for ourselves, but for everybody else around us, too. Because people want to do work that matters, but if they don't understand why it matters, then they're not going to get behind it. And I want to jump in there on, the, on yeah, that point the real quick. So there was an article that came out in CIO Magazine, I believe it was last week. I put it up on uh, my Twitter profile, so if anybody wants to go find it. Uh, but it was a recent study done, and it said that 76% of project managers, that's 7 76% project managers have no idea how their projects impact the organization. That is astounding. That makes me weep on the inside. <laughs> it does. I mean, one of my favorite tricks 
um, to, to jump off of that as well, right? And, and so I'll, I'll take it to a, a little bit of a lower level. But I, in, the, in the same portion of asking why is when I get a project with a date, I ask why that date? Where did it come from? Who, who selected it? Why did we pick this date? Is it regulatory? Is it first-to-market strategies? Is it something that you know, we're, we're trying to, to push out? And, and, and you worked in a fantastic industry. I'm fascinated by the drug development industry. In fact, we, we built a program off of CAPPM that does uh, uh, resource forecasting for clinical research outsourcing. So I'm just I'm fascinated by the cool. industry. But in that case, and if I can shave six weeks off a project, that's, that could be millions of dollars. Okay, well, that makes sense. So if we can do everything faster in an industry like that, that makes sense, right? First to market is everything in drug development. But if I'm in banking, right, and it's, it's just an upgrade to a small system, and it's not going to give us any competitive advantage, there's no reason for us to be working nights and weekends to, to drive this project home. So why that date? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, I think we don't ask why enough. And I don't know if you've seen the video or read the book that, uh, I think it's Simon Sinek, is that his name, that uh, wrote the book Start With Why? Yes. Have you seen that? Yeah. I mean, it's such a basic concept, but I think it pervades it at all levels with an organization. Even why an organization exists should start with the why. Um, you know, every project that that is undertaken. I mean, you're investing a lot of times, a lot of money and resources, time, and if the why isn't there, I mean, shame on us for not asking the question. So greatest organization I've ever seen really do the investigation of why. And, and, and you've heard the term, and people laugh at it if you're going through a PMI exam prep or you're trying to go get your PMP. They, they coined a term called the murder board. And people kind of chuckle at that. But it's the greatest thing an organization can have. And there was a company called Asurion. The guy that headed that up at the time was Bill King. And this guy is is an absolute genius. I've, I've, I've followed him around in various careers. He's at MSCI now. Uh, I've never seen anybody be more of a genius in, in project governance in my entire life. And people think that project governance, when you put a lot of it in, it slows the company down. But in 2009 to 2011, I believe, or was it 2006 to, 2000, 2006 to 2009, Asurion grew you know, by thousands of percents in their IT group. And... He could tell you plus or minus 1% of his GL in, in clarity. But what they did is, I mean, they'd give you 10% of the budget to go plan the project. And if you were plus or minus 10% of what you thought you were going to be um, after planning the project, then you had to come in front of the murder board and prove to them that you need to do this project. And if you couldn't get past them, then they killed the project. And people are like, ah, that's really tough. But it wasn't. It was brilliant. It was beautiful because... We are now being stewards of our own money. I mean, we, yeah. we make those choices every day, but for some reason we don't at our company level, right? Yeah. If I got 30 bucks in my wallet, do I really need to go buy this shirt right now or am I going to wait? But we don't do that with our corporate funds. It's amazing. Yep. We say yes to everything. We absolutely say yes to everything. And it, it's really interesting. I studied um, another project management uh, method out of the UK called Prince2, and, and they're really big in that method around why. And if the why isn't there, if you're not going to get the benefit that you expect out of a project, you kill it. And they say that that's the best thing you can do to a project because a lot of times what we do is, like you said, we, we do this death march. We know it's not going to be successful. And yet we continue to spend money, time, energy, and put our whole organization at risk as a result. And, 
and we should look at killing a project as a good thing. Hey, we get to use our time and our money and our people in a better, more productive way. We do this on a personal level, but we don't do this in an organization level because saying yes is so tempting. And a lot of times we're glass half full and we're saying, well, it'll get better. It'll get better. Um, you know, we can turn this project around. It's like, just let it go. We have to let it go. Say goodbye to your project. <laughs> we, had a, we had a young lady that worked for me when, when I ran my PMO at the bank. Um, and, and normally I don't say names, but I, I need to give her props because she was phenomenal. Her name was Pamela Smith. Really, really smart project manager. Really super, super person uh, to have work for you. And, uh, but she was our project killer, man. If I, if I saw a project that was just even teetering on the edge of whether or not we should do it, you assigned it to her because she could get any project killed. And she just she had this very matter-of-fact, very sweet tone, but it's very matter-of-fact. Why should we do this? Well, do, do you see any, anything we shouldn't do? It, it was just, I don't know how she did it, but she, she'd walk in, she'd go, kill another one. <laughs> you know, it was amazing. And, and, and for us, we were excited. We were like, yeah, way to go, Pamela, because we got all these projects we got to do. We can't do all these things. And so any of the ones we didn't want to, to occur, man, you give them to Pamela, she'd take care of that one. <laughs> she, she, nice. She'd get that one off your plate, man. But one of the other interesting things that, that I read uh, came from another mentor of mine, uh, Rob Tomsa. And, and this was the other interesting thing. So say we go ahead and do all these projects and then you start measuring the project success and you have all these ones that say that they were successful, but we measure them by three key statistics, whether or not it was on scope, whether or not it was on time or on budget. And this was done by the Cutter Consortium out of Australia. They went through and measured thousands of projects that met those three criteria and showed how many of them actually failed by saying, all right, well, yeah, we met scope, but we met budget. Um, or time because we made everybody work nights and weekends. We met budget because they were salary. We didn't pay them another dime. But we didn't get any of the ROI or any of our expected results because we were turning over our staff. Our stakeholders weren't satisfied. We were covertly degrading quality to hit the dates. All of those different things uh, to bring those those projects into play. Um, so they weren't successful at all. Mm. Yep. At the end of the day, if it doesn't get you what you would hope for, who cares? nobody's going to look back on on a project and say, well, at least it was on time. At least this hunk of garbage was on time. Or this thing that is no longer technology that anybody cares about, at least we were on budget. That doesn't matter. And I think what's happening in our industry, and, and, and then I'm going to drop off our, our soapbox here a little bit. I think what happens in our industry, and it's very frustrating, First of all, we, we, we tap people to be project managers. You and I both, you're a microbiologist, I was an IT guy. And we both fell into project management. We didn't come out of college wanting to be a project manager. We fell in love with the industry. We have a lot of passion for it. But that's not what we started out to be. So somewhere along the line, somebody tapped us and said, you're going to do this. We went, okay, right? And that happens on a daily basis. There's that piece. Then... Most of the projects that are failing, and, and I have no fear in saying this, is because there are mandated dates and budgets that none of these project managers had any opportunity to influence. And then we have the gall to kind of stand up and say, well, it's the project management industry that's failing, so we're going to go agile. We're going to go scrum. And, and what are we doing in agile and scrum? So if, if I go to developers on a daily basis and say, what percent complete are you? Tell me how many hours you're going to work on this task. Break these tasks down into all these levels for me. And report on this for me, they go, I'm not doing that. But in Agile and Scrum, we do that on a daily basis, right? We're uh-huh. breaking it down in two-week sprints. We stand up. We vote on points. We say, this is what we did. But, man, if you gave me that information every day as a project manager, we'd be fine. Uh-huh. 
but we struggle to get that information in our standard methodology. So is it a failure of the project management industry and methodology, or do we just not want to follow it? It's a question to ponder. Man, that's a deep question. <laughs> Sorry. Um, do you have about two weeks? Because <laughs> I think we could solve this. I think we could. You know, I think it's a little bit of all those things. Um, you know, I, I was taught the, the PMBOK method, the project management body of knowledge, and, you know, I took that to be, you know, the, the gospel, and there's things in it that, honestly, I think maybe have fallen a little bit behind the times. Um, I also think that, you know, you had mentioned this. You came from IT. I came out of microbiology, and and the mechanics of project management, number one, I, I don't know that they've, they've served us over the test of time, as is. And I think the PMI has been a little bit behind in that. But I also think that a lot of this comes down to also um, leadership um, and focusing on soft skills. You don't learn any of that. Um, You learn that on the job, but you don't learn it coming out of project management training. Does that make sense? It absolutely does. And I'm going to stop you there. I want you to to have a second to ponder that because I did – not intend to get that deep, but it did hit me that deeply. And so I want to give you a second to collect your thoughts. We're going to take our last break. We'll be right back. The Erica Flora from Beyond 20, and you're listening to the Work-Life Balance. Today, every business is in the software business. And business is booming. That's because we live in an application-driven world where the lines between physical and digital are blurrier every day. It's a world where billions of connected things talk to each other, where agility is the new driver of competitive advantage, where applications aren't just part of your brand, they are your brand. All of this means you have a new mandate. Build the apps that will drive the future of your business and satisfy demanding customers or fall behind. Only CA Technologies has the years of expertise and the end-to-end portfolio of software solutions to help you plan, build, manage, secure, and scale the applications at the heart of your modern enterprise. To learn how your business can thrive, visit rewrite.ca.com, your exclusive source for insights from the cutting edge of the application economy. This is not a radio ad. It's a collection of computers, servers, transmitters, satellites, and receivers, all powered by the most transformative force in business today, software. Just think about how many applications you have within reach at this very moment. And not just on your phone. If you're in your car, software is powering the GPS that guides you. Turn left ahead. The digital road signs that direct you onward. And the engine computer that keeps you moving. Soon, software will even replace you as the driver. Switching to auto drive mode. This is life in the application economy, and the opportunities for businesses are endless, but only if you have the tools to seize them. From planning to development to management to security, end-to-end software solutions from CA Technologies can help your business succeed in this new application-driven world. Learn how at rewrite.ca.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. 
Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now, back to the work-life balance. And we're back with our final segment, and uh, I, I had to give uh, uh, send a virtual fan over to Erica as uh, we got really deep, uh, and this was supposed to be a little bit lighter and fun, but uh, got on the soapbox a little bit there, but I do want to finish that conversation. We were talking about kind of the failures of the industry, um, and there are failures on both sides, and I, I want to give you ample time to, to finish your point there, Erica. Yeah, so we just started talking about... Where have where have we have project managers? Where have we failed? Where has the industry failed? And and I think it's it's a combined failure. Um, I've worked with a lot of project managers over the years, and man, if you ask me what percentage of project managers are really good, really add value to the organization, I'd probably have to say twenty percent. Uh, um, that's the exact number in my head. Is it really? Yeah, exact I think number. it's the eighty twenty rule, man. Um, 80% of project managers, they know it's in that body of knowledge and, and you know, they can, they can do the mechanics, but they don't lead. They don't know how to talk to leadership. They don't know how to bring value to leadership in their team. And I understand why a lot of organizations have ripped out their project management office. I understand why a lot of organizations have laid off their project managers or said, you know what, you're no longer a project manager, you're this, you're a scrum master or you're something different um, because we aren't bringing value. And there's so many reasons for it. I think um, from, a, from a perspective of, of the individual, what makes somebody really good versus not good, um, I think if you um, are, are stuck in old ways from a decade or two ago, um, you're you're falling behind. If you know the basics of like how to set up a schedule and and how to um, collect data and report data, then why do I need you? And why do I need to pay you a bunch of money to be able to do that um, when when somebody else can can give me a lot more than that? So I think from a personal level, the people that that aren't continually learning and growing. I mean, if your organization is talking about things like Agile and Scrum, which is the latest. Um, the latest thing within project management, if you, if you can't speak intelligently about that and and contribute to the conversation, then you're, you're a dinosaur. Um, so the, the people that really grab onto the new things and understand them and, and consume them and, and try to figure out how do I bring this to my organization in a way that brings true value, you're unfortunately going to get laid off. Um, yeah. I think that's the state of things. I, I think the, PM, you know, the Project Management Institute, um, you know, internally they use a lot of Agile and Scrum, but does it come out in the, in the body of knowledge that they um, provide out to project managers who want to learn more? Um, they're a little behind the times on that. So, yeah, so I think there's a lot of failings, and it kind of makes me sad, but I also see people who are, are doing great things and, and um those great project managers are surviving. Yeah, so it comes down to the ability to adapt and the ability to. I think I think that if I could single out the the greatest skill set that I think project managers lack, and you said it, but just to be clear, is leadership. It's yeah. it's the the leadership, and in you know I was saying this in the break, and I say it in, in my seminars, and and I say it all the time. 
you know, the greatest lie I was ever told as a project manager is they say, hey, buddy, you own this project. And I was like, okay, man, yeah, I own it. It's mine. And then you start trying to change anything on it. You recognize you don't own anything, man. You don't own the scope. You don't own the budget. You don't own the resources. You've, you've been put there to, to essentially own the blame for when it goes wrong. And, and when I recognized that and, yeah. and I figured that out, I, I was able to flip a switch and say, no, 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 no. I facilitate this project for you. That's my job. My job is to consistently educate and frame and, and adapt for you. Now, you can make the decisions, but I, I, I'm not going to make a decision on this project. I don't own it. It's, it's not my baby. It, it's kind of like when I'm babysitting other people's children. I can, you know, I can direct, mm. but, but I'm not going to discipline, right? I'm, it's not my job. It's not my job. I can send them home. That's nice, <laughs> right? But that's about yeah. as far as it's going to go. Um, yeah. So interesting to, to, to think about it that way. Yeah, it's funny. I came to that same realization. I, I had mentioned Prince to you early on, um, and in, in, in what you learn from from project management here in the U.S. is the project manager owns and is accountable for that project. And what they say actually in the U.K. and in other parts of the world is you as a project manager are responsible, but accountability always stays with, with the sponsor, the person that, that is your champion. You can't. You can't have you can't have somebody else be accountable when you don't give them the ability to, like you said, ha- maintain whatever budget they need, um, put whatever resources they want on it, um, you know, oversee those resources. If you don't give that person decision making, there's no way they can be accountable. And so I had that same aha moment. I was like, of course, that makes total sense. Why are we? taking the blame ourselves when, when things go wrong. Now, does that mean that, that we don't have anything that we need to be doing? No, absolutely not. It, it means that we drive that forward and we give people the data that they need to be able to make good decisions. Right. So we're accountable for the information that we provide for the decisions, but not accountable for the success or failure in the long run. No, absolutely not. So Erica, tell people how to get a hold of you on social media. So, yeah, so I'm on Twitter. Uh, it's just at Erica Flora, Erica with a K. Um, my company is at Beyond20 on Twitter. Um, same thing with Facebook. It's Facebook, and I think it's Go Beyond20. Um, yeah, we're on LinkedIn. I'm all over LinkedIn. That's kind of my uh, social media um, drug of choice, I guess. Is that how you say that? I don't know. Sure. Um, <laughs> that's that's um, LinkedIn is, I just, Love it. I think it's fantastic. Um, I do a lot of writing on blog posts and stuff like that on LinkedIn and try to engage with folks and try to answer all questions that I get. Um, uh, yeah. So I'm pretty easy to find. So if anybody's interested in finding Erica, asking questions, following up, finding out what Beyond 20 can do, find out uh, if Beyond 20 can help your organization, that's the way to find her. Uh, it's also beyond20.com. Uh, there's also links on our Voice America homepage uh, for this show to Erica and to her websites uh, and to her social media handles as well. So we made it easy to find Erica directly from the show. So if you're streaming this now live from the Internet, you can just look down there at our guest page, and there will be a page there for Erica uh, and links right there to find her. You can find me at, at Rick A. Morris. Again, the 9th of May, I'm going to be in Georgia uh, speaking at the GTA uh, Summit. Uh, 13th of May, we're at the Central Alabama PMI. 23rd and 24th, I'm in New York City uh, at the Resource Planning Summit. You can go to resourceplanningsummit.com to find out all the information there. Uh, And then June 16th in Fort Wayne, Indiana with uh, John Stenbeck and the great PM team. 
Uh, we've got a fantastic uh, professional development day that we're doing out there. Uh, also going to be doing the Voice America Live uh, shows uh, from the Central Alabama PMI event and possibly the Fort Wayne event as well. Uh, so that should be pretty exciting to listen into. We're going to have a lot of fun with that. We thank Erica. Thank you so much uh, for joining us today. Um, it was a pleasure talking to you. Apologize, I went a little deep, but uh, you, you brought that out in me. Uh, so <laughs> in the accountability cir- circle, it's y- your fault. No, um, but uh, no. I like it. All I like it. <laughs> yeah. I'll take uh, it. <laughs> say hello to the crew uh, for me, uh, to your crew, and we thank you so much. And thank you, everyone, for listening to the Work-Life Balance. Uh, Next week, I'm going to have Princess Q-Thrill with us, uh, who's got a phenomenal story uh, just about uh, letting go, climbing back, uh, you know, just uh, had a a pretty deep story uh, happen to her and uh, allowed anger to kind of get in her way for a long time um, and has now let that go and is thriving as a business consultant. We met at the uh, John Maxwell seminars. Uh, She was at my table and uh, is just a phenomenal lady. And so we can't wait to uh, speak to her next week. So please join us next week at the Work-Life Balance. You've been listening to Rick Morris. Have a great weekend. Thank you for joining us this week. The Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris can be heard live every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now that the weekend is here, it's time to rethink your priorities and enjoy it. We'll see you on our next show. 